Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication and this week, uh, well not necessarily this week, but this particular episode I will be giving you a bonus episode because there has been some big news in the world of Stephen King that I think that I you know, think that you guys might want to talk about a little bit. So I figured that I would dive in and talk about the Dark Tower film adaptation. So a few weeks ago, for those of you who may not know, a few weeks ago, Matthew McConaughey was attached to the project. Now, before I had talked about how Matthew McConaughey had been attached to The Stand, and in a recent episode, I think I talked about how unsure I was of the, the stand adaptation actually happening because from what I remember, I don't think that it was ever official that Matthew McConaughey was going to star as Randall Flagg. I think that it was just speculation that he was in the running, that Warner Brothers had reached out to him, that uh, he had been offered the role. But from what I remember, I don't think that he actually ever took it. Now reports are stating that he had been offered the role of, well, I, I've heard, I've read mixed reports here. So one report was that he was offered the role of Roland and he was interested in playing Walter. And other reports are saying that he was just given the script with the opportunity to choose which which role he, he wanted to play. Now, all reports are stating that regardless of whether or not he was offered the role of Roland, it's clear that if he's going to be in it, he's going to be playing the man in black, which works when you consider the fact that he had been offered the role of Randall Flagg. And I, I believe that if he takes the Dark Tower movie, he won't be able to do the stand, which is really too bad because if he if he took the role of Walter, then we could have um, an interstudio uh, Stephen King cinematic universe simply by the casting alone. I mean, we, we never really have to address it. Characters don't have to reference each other's movies. We can simply have the same actor playing the same character in in two different franchises, and that would be awesome. It would be great. Uh, I don't think that that's going to shake out that way, but uh, in the meantime, I can dream. So let's talk a little bit about Walter as or Matthew McConaughey as Walter. It's it's an interesting choice. I mean, because we know that Walter ultimately is the same character as, as Randall Flagg. And I think that Matt McConaughey would play a great Randall Flagg. But I think that the the characterization of Walter and Martin Broadcloak, I think it's different. I, I don't think that he's exactly the same. Um, you know, so I, I, I love the casting. I think that's going to be great. But if you were to ask me who I would cast as as Walter, I, I would not, I wouldn't pick Matt McConaughey, even though technically it is the same character. Regardless, I, I think that it's I think that it's it's gonna be fun casting. I think that's great casting in the sense that Matthew McConaughey is a name that's going to draw people to the theater. And once non-fans of Stephen King start hearing about how weird this movie is, um, and the fact that Matthew McConaughey is attached to it, then yeah, I think that it's really gonna help draw people to the the 
the theaters to to see this movie and get the the word out on on what we all know and love in the form of the Dark Tower. So that was last week, and <laughs> and then a couple days ago, news dropped that they have found the potential actor that they want to play the part of Roland the Gunslinger. And when I read it, I got very excited. And I knew immediately that for every fan that was thoroughly excited and for every fan that thought this was the best casting ever, there would be at least one fan that hated it. And so that's what we got to talk about here, guys. So I'm talking about the fact that Idris Elba um, is the front runner to play Roland DeShane of Gilead to star in The Gunslinger. Now, like I said, I think that this is great, guys. I think that it's great casting. Um, and I'll get into the reasons um, why it might not be great casting. Um, and that won't be... I'm just kind of spitballing here. But, um, you know, I mean, these reasons that I'll give um, are not the reasons that I share. But the reasons why I think that he'd be a great Roland um, are the reasons I'm sure that they reached out to Idris Elba in the first place. And that is, what do we need out of a gunslinger? What do we need out of a Roland? Um, for me, I'll just put it out there. I, I don't care. I don't care if he's black. I don't care if he's white. The only thing that I want is if he can effectively uh, embody this particular character. And skin color to me doesn't matter. Yes, um, I believe that, you know, Roland was originally conceived, inspired by the Clint Eastwood character, uh, the man with no name, back in the 70s. Yes, that was the original inspiration. However, you know, the more I read of Roland, I mean, the less Clint Eastwood he became. He became his own character. He sort of transcended that original inspirational uh Piece. So yeah, from a very superficial standpoint, Clint Eastwood and that that Clint Eastwood type of character. I mean, to the point where some people out there want Scott Eastwood, I believe that his name is, I mean, it's Clint Eastwood's son to play the part, which again, to me personally, is a very superficial reason to cast someone because that really is all about looks. Um, but to me, the reading experience has less to do about the look of it and more to do with with the feel. And I don't, and I, I just, I want to stress here, guys, I don't want to demean anyone that uh, is against Idris Elba or wants Roland to be a particular type of, of actor. Um, but I, I do want to state that when it comes to what I want, this is what I want. I want an actor who can play commanding. I want an actor who can play vulnerable and lonely and longing and violent and scary and warm and curious and loving and um, someone that can kind of be a loner, someone that can also have the, the ability to, to, to be kingly, someone that can be obsessive, someone that can be thoughtful. And it's going to take a lot. Like I've said in my reviews, Roland is one of the most nuanced characters that King has ever committed to paper. So whoever they cast, if they're going to need to get someone that can 
do it all, really, and do it all effectively. And yeah, Idris Elba, I mean, Idris Elba can do all of that. I am very excited um, at the prospect of Idris Elba chasing after Matthew McConaughey. That to me is awesome. Is it what I had pictured? No. No, I mean, in all the times I've read the Dark Tower books, did I picture Idris Elba? Did I picture Matthew McConaughey? No, I didn't. Um, but my Roland that I pictured in my head, I mean, he's not going anywhere. That's still the image that I have of Roland for the books. But I think that what the, all of this comes down to is um, is the age-old argument of of what to do with a movie. Do you change things for the movie or do you keep things the same? And I, I come down firmly on the side of change. And here's why. And I've talked about this, I think, before in other episodes. But I believe that a movie is its own medium and a book is its own medium. And what works in a book doesn't necessarily work in a movie. And I applaud change when a filmmaker makes a decision to make the best form of that story for a particular medium. And I'm going to point out The Shining. Some people don't like it because it's not something else. And that, to me, is a flawed argument. Is it good for what it is? Is it good for what the filmmaker intends? Does it hold up against the filmmaker's intention? My answer is yes, it does. Therefore, it's an effective movie. Yes, it's not Stephen King's novel, but we still have Stephen King's novel. And Stephen King's novel is a great book, and it's not going anywhere. Um, and a movie doesn't negatively affect a, a book uh, that it's based off of. I'm also going to point out Jaws, and I've mentioned Jaws before, but Jaws, and, and no offense to Peter Benchley, um, who wound up writing um, one of my favorite uh, sea monster books beast um jaws isn't a very good film i'm sorry whoa, whoa i take that back jaws isn't a very good uh novel it, it just it really isn't um at the end of the day i don't need the mafia involved in my story about a killer shark uh, i don't need a love affair between um hooper and the chief's wife um and these things don't work in in this novel and spielberg understood that and made changes. If you want to argue that Jurassic Park is better than the book, um, you, you certainly have legs to stand on. They're completely different entities, the book and the movie. The The book is, is cold and it's hard and it's dangerous and it's violent and it's about um, the, the achievement of scientific um, advancement and the dangers of it. And that's touched upon in the movie, but Stephen King, I'm sorry, Steven Spielberg knows that when he's making that movie, he has to make it about the wonder of seeing dinosaurs for the first time. So he reverts all of us to children. We become Alan Grant when Alan Grant first sees the, the brontosaurus reach up and, and grab the, the leaves off the tallest part of the tree. And we become Alan Grant when he just lies on the triceratops and just lets it breathe and just he's he he's a man that just reverts to a child and so do all of we because Steven Spielberg knew that he needed to change the tone in order to enact those feelings within all of us so when it comes to change I am all for it and I believe that making changes to the Dark Tower movies it doesn't change 
what came before in the Dark Tower books. Now, I think that Idris Elba playing Roland should be the least of the changes that need to be made to the Dark Tower series. And this is where <laughs> um, I might get a little controversial here, but the fact of the matter is, from a storytelling perspective, the Dark Tower novels, despite the fact that I have spent hours and hours and hours talking about them, the novels themselves are flawed. And what works in the book is not going to work in a movie. I mean, just look at, at the gunslinger itself, okay? We have that iconic line, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed, okay? It's a wonderful image. I've talked about it at length in my reviews about how it builds the mythology of this world and the mythology later is subverted when we, the gunslinger becomes Roland and the man in black becomes Walter and it becomes less about mythic figures and more about to wounded and vulnerable individuals, right? So I, I get all of that. However, we have a clear conflict that is presented at the very beginning of this novel, and at no point is that conflict ever clarified on. I mean, can anybody tell me why the gunslinger is running after the man in black? I mean, we have some idea that the man in black will point Roland in the direction of the dark tower but why how how do we know that and i'm not all of, i'm not all about getting all of the answers but this is one that that kind of needs to be um clarified for audiences because if you okay so how about this if you take the man in black out of the gunslinger and roland is trying to find his way to the dark tower he's the entire novel still continues the the bulk of the series continues. He's still going to go through the Golgotha. He's going to make his way to the end. And you could just jump ahead and have him follow the path of the beam. Um, so we need to have a very clear reason why he's chasing after the man in black. And I read just one particular headline that to me made me rethink the Dark Tower, um, and especially the Gunslinger. And the headline was, Idris Elba chases after Matthew McConaughey to the Dark Tower. And I never thought about it like that. What if Roland is not hunting down the man in black to get information? What if it's a race? And what if the man in black is on his way to the Dark Tower and Roland has to stop him and has to get to him before, uh, has to get to the Dark Tower before the man in black gets to the Dark Tower? There we go. That's a loaded conflict. It still has one foot in what we've read in the books, but it's slightly changed, and I'm totally fine for it. And it gives action to the story, which I'm going to be a little bit more controversial here. The Gunslinger lacks a lot of conflict, and it lacks a lot of tension because so much of it is told in the past. Um, we get the, the time of Gilead told in the past, Tall, which should be riveting really is not super riveting because it's told um by roland to brown um and then the the whole involvement with jake from the point jake shows up to the point um jake dies i mean yes there, there's the the speaking ring demon portion but there's not a lot of action there's not a lot that happens aside from wandering and talking and trying to figuring trying to figure out where jake came from there needs to be more 
in a movie, there needs to be more than just walking towards the mountains because that's, I mean, we've seen enough of that in the Lord of the Rings movies. So there needs to be some major changes here. Um, I think that this is why a lot of people really like the, the wastelands because in the wastelands, it's full of energy and there's danger on nearly every page. I mean, it starts with Shardik running through the, the woods to try and kill El Eddie. It's a great beginning. Then we have um, the the race to save Jake. Um, and then we have uh, the, the craziness of, of Lud and um, trying to stop the um, city pirates. And then we have the, the race to get on the train. And so there's... Every section has a very clear point of conflict that helps propel the the readers along. Very, very tense. Um, but, I mean, even in Drawing of the Three, we have a character that's wandering around a, a beach that's inside another character's head for the majority of the time. It's a fascinating read, but aside from the shootout... There's not a lot of action. There really isn't. There's a lot of tension, but I don't know how well that's going to be conveyed on the screen if it follows exactly the same uh, plot points as as the, the novels. What works in the novels aren't necessarily going to work in the movies. So, I mean, that's why I think that... And then Wolves of the Kala? I mean, not much happens. It's fun, It's but a lot of it is all set up. Um, I mean, even the shootout at the end with the wolves, not much happens. I mean, it's it's very, like I said in my review, they're very easily able to dispatch the wolves, and and that's it. Song of Susanna cannot be filmed the way that it's written. Elements of that novel need to just be put into different aspects of the story, but we can't have a seven-book uh, adaptation the way that they're written in the book because that's just not going to work. Um, and I, I just... No, no, I, I just, there need to be changes, guys. In order for it to work, there needs to be changes. And I think that Idris Elba being Roland the Gunslinger is a great way to open the door for change. Um, at the end of the day, if this comes through, I mean, this could all just be worthless because the movie might fall apart. Like I said, I won't believe it until I actually see a, a trailer with footage from it. But him being Roland, him being cast as Roland, if he accepts it, I think that that's a great template for change. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, we'll still get a gunslinger movie. Um, we'll still have the man in black. We will still have Jake and Eddie, and we'll have magic doors, and we'll have a tower. Um, but if they change things along the way, I am fine with it because I want, when I go to the movies, I want to lose myself in the screen, in the world that they're giving me. And, you know... I don't want every movie to be an action movie, but I do need to be entertained. And if it is filmed exactly the way that it's written, I can't say that I'm going to be entertained. But those are just my opinions. But at the end of the day, I think that Idris Elba is going to knock it out of the ballpark if he is Roland. I am very, very excited at this prospect of him playing this grizzled old gunfighter that is just desperately trying to make his way across this post-apocalyptic weird magical sci-fi wasteland it is awesome great casting congratulations to um whoever first thought up this idea because it truly is inspired very very exciting about it 
Oh, and I'm sorry, I didn't even talk really about the, the whole Deta Odetta argument. Um, so I guess what a lot of people out there are saying is that Idris Elba can't be Roland because um, racism plays a large part of the novel when uh, Deta Walker comes into Midworld and she starts yelling at Roland and calling him a honky mafia. Now, to me, if you take all of the attributes of Idris Elba as a human being and an actor and what he is able to convey with his craft and weigh it against whether or not that character should or should not be called a honky mafia, I'm not going to say that he can't play this character because another character in the book called another character in the book a honky mafia. Again, what works in a book might not necessarily work on screen, and just because it's in the book doesn't mean that it has to be in the movie. So, yes, that is what Book Deta called Book Roland, but it doesn't mean that it needs to be in the movie, and it certainly shouldn't be the main reason why an actor is, is cast or not cast for the role. Now, the fact of the matter is... You all know how I feel when Stephen King sometimes writes black characters. So if they make drastic changes to the Dead Walker character, sign me up. I'm fine with that. And I read one article about how Idris Elba being black actually makes it um, better. And I, I, I don't know if I want to use the word better. It certainly makes it as interesting in a completely different way that I, I really, really like. I mean, just because Idris Elba is black doesn't mean that Deta Walker can't hate him. And it doesn't mean that there can't be racism. That's the thing about racism, guys. It comes in many forms. Um, a black person can hate another black person. Um, uh, you can have a gay person that doesn't like another gay guy for being too gay. That happens. Um, you can have, you know, homophobic gay people. You can have black people disliking other black people for maybe not being black enough or being too black or making fun of their skin because it's too black. This stuff exists. It does happen. So for Deta Walker to come into Midworld, automatically see someone that has the same color as her skin, she automatically might reach out to him for support and help. But then when she sees that this um, this th th this black guy all of a sudden is siding with this honky mafia white guy, she's going to turn on him harder because she might feel as though she's being betrayed and then might call him an Uncle Tom. So there is racial tension that you can mine from this with Idris Elba being black. It doesn't need to be as simple as black and white. It can be a little bit more nuanced and something that we don't see all the time in television or movies. So if that's the route, the, the route that they want to take, I'm totally fine with it. And that I think would be very, very interesting. You know, and then in the same article um, that I had read, it it's, you know, I mean, it proposes other other things. Is racism something in in this cinematic version of Midworld? I mean, if you think about the fact that Roland is an offspring of the, the ultimate king of of the land right so does this mean that arthur eld was black um or because roland is roland a, a bastard offspring um i believe that he is he's he's an offshoot um so what what does that say if roland is black that's that's very interesting now what happens when young roland falls in love with susan is susan gonna be black 
is Susan going to be white? And doesn't that make the the forbidden love um, that much more a little a little bit more potent? Um, so I mean, there's definitely a lot that they can play up with the fact that that Roland is um, played by a black man. That doesn't take away from anything that that King had written. So I'm excited. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, whatever they want to do in terms of story, they're they're gonna do. But I know that. Story aside, I mean, they, the screenwriters could write something awful, but I know now if Idris Elba takes the role, he's going to be great as Roland. And really, isn't that what we want? Someone that's going to be great. So that's how I feel about the the whole um, Idris Elba casting. I hope that comes true. Um, and then there was something else I was going to talk about in terms of of um, Stephen King cinematic adaptations, I believe. Uh yeah, there was one um, interview I had read with either the screenwriter or the director or the producer of the Pet Cemetery remake, and they were talking about the changes that they're going to make. And again, you know, and I'm totally for these things. They they said that they wanted to cut down on the kind of over the top elements of the original Pet Cemetery movie, and they wanted to really keep it grounded in that emotional despair that's going to come from the death of a child. So the way that I'm reading this is that it's going to be much more psychological uh, horror than this EC Comics kind of horror that it takes at the end. Now, I'm sure that there's still going to be little zombie pets and zombie gauge running around, but, you know, I mean, I, I think that whoever it was, I don't remember who it was, but they described, like, the second that you, you put the, the scalpel in the kid's hand, I mean, it, it, it becomes less... It's just not frightening. Like, even in my review, I talk about how cute he is. It's, it's, not, it's not terrifying. So that needs to be the most horrific aspect of that movie is the, 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 the child that you loved coming back as a monster... I mean, that needs to be horrific, and if they, they want to do that, I'm, you know, I completely understand why they want to go that route. So that that's another example of change. Um, okay, guys, while I have you right now, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to read a couple, um, a couple emails from listeners, and the first, is, which is from Tommy, who writes, Dear Stephen King Cast, First off, want to say that I absolutely love the podcast. The podcast is perfectly paced and structured so much better than the other completest podcasts that I've listened to. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that. I've been an SK fan since I was 12. Carrie was my first read. Since I have made my way through SK's bibliography haphazardly, as of November 2015, I'm currently four books away from reading everything King has published. I'm currently in the last pages of It. Totally regret not reading it sooner. I'd like to share my thoughts on all of the books from Carrie to Thinner as quick as I can. Carrie, gruesome and intriguing. For me at 12, it was very sexual and horrific, but I loved every minute of it. The characters and predestination narrative was what kept me rolling. Salem's Lot, felt the town atmosphere, multiple characters, was captured better in Under the Dome, The Stand, and The Best in Needful Things. Barlow was more effective than any of the other characters. The story was too plot-driven, or maybe I'm overloaded with vampires. The Shining. King hit this one out of the ballpark. The tension and uneasiness is captured so well. The Stand. This is probably my favorite SK book besides Dark Tower 2 and 3. His best characters, villains, plot devices, just perfect. The Long Walk. Like Rage and the other Bachman books, this one is dirty. Loved it, but felt the writing was immature and better suited for a novella or story. The Dead Zone. Loved this book. Read the summer 
read this summer in a wave. Didn't like the scene with Johnny and Sarah when they had sex. Seemed unnecessary to the plot. Would have been better. Would have been done better without the adultery. Firestarter. Love this one as well. Explosive and brash. Rainbird is a fantastic villain. Roadwork. Little too long and too unpleasant of a read. Would have worked better as a short story. Cujo. Read this book in a day. Loved the fact that it was brutal and unrelentless. Would have worked better as a better as a Bachman book. The Running Man. This deserves a film remake. Another gruesome Bachman book that is fantastic. The Dark Tower. The Gunslinger. A day read that brought on the obsession. Though it isn't perfect, the short story aspect of it makes it a fun read. Christine, the car classic. The switch between perspectives is a little jarring, and I agree with you on the love square that gets a little muddy towards the end. Pet Cemetery devoured this one. Like the fact that we don't see Gage die, makes the real star of the book, Death and Grief, more apparent and the real horror. Cycle of the Werewolf. This needs a rewrite into a short story. Completely agree. Cool little vignette would have worked better as a fleshed-out short story. The Talisman. I might be the only one that didn't like this. I felt the story was boring, and being a huge fan of the hero's journey, I felt that I was meandering and didn't have any of the punch that the Dark Tower books had. I might have to give this one another go, since I think I went looking for more of a DT story than an appendix. Thinner. Nothing but a pot boiler that ran a little too long would have worked better as a short story. Thank you for taking the time to make such an awesome podcast and taking the time to read my email. It's great to know that there are other SK fans who dig the Dark Tower as much as me. You are truly not an SK fan if you miss out on the tower. I will send my thoughts periodically as I close in on my last few reads. Happy holidays. Um, 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 and that is from from Tommy or TJ. So, TJ, thank you for, for writing in. I really, really appreciate it. Um, thank you for all the kind words, and I love I love your thoughts. Um, next up, we have uh, Aran, who writes, Howdy, friend. I just commented on your Facebook page, but figured I should write you a proper message. I play music in Montana and spend a lot of time driving to gigs. In addition to the BBC dramatizations, dramatizations of Salem's Lot and Pet Cemetery, your podcast has been keeping me company on the road the past couple of months, making me wish I could reread a dozen different books at once, not to mention the books I haven't got to yet. I first read It shortly after the miniseries aired in 1991. I was 13, a year older than the characters in 1958. I reread the novel each fall at least two more times, but never again until this fall. I'm 37, a year younger than the characters in the book in 1985. Let me say that it was a real trip revisiting Derry, Maine with that gap of time in between. One day I must visit Bangor and do the King tour. Nothing much else to say besides keep up the good work. Um, so thank you for writing in, man. And I do agree that you should check out sktours.com or sk-tours.com. You will not be disappointed if you do so. And for those of you who haven't listened to my review of sk-tours.com, I believe that I published it in April of 2014. So go through the feed and you can listen to that. Up next, we have Joe who writes, I recently stumbled onto your podcast, The Genesis. Wait a minute. I like podcasts. I love Stephen King. Dare I hope there's a Stephen King podcast? I've been burning through the back episodes as fast as I can and just wanted to give you a small note of thanks. It's a true joy to find something that explores genuine appreciation of something slash someone I likewise appreciate, especially because most of my friends and family are too freaked out to read King's books themselves. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Here's to many more. By the way, I'm totally with you on Cujo. Pretty joyless, bit of a slog in places. Weirdly, though, another relatively joyless effort, Pet Cemetery, is a favorite of mine, 
precisely because it's pitch dark terror slash horror alternating endlessly. Probably gives me the creeps more than any other book King has written. Looking forward to a review of that one, but I'm staying disciplined with the chronological order someday. Well, thank you, Joe. And up next, um, we have... Uh, an email, we have an email from Jennifer who writes, um, hi, constant reader. I had a lot of fun writing about both Cujo and Pet Cemetery. I'm still working on the talisman and slowly becoming more invested. Wolf just showed up and so far he reminds me of Tom Cullen. Every time he says Wolf, I think M-O-O-N. Maybe it's the overalls. I think the problem I'm having is that I just haven't bought into the Dark Tower world yet. I read The Gunslinger and I didn't love it. I had a really hard time connecting with any of the characters. I'm going to keep going, though. I haven't listened to any spoiler episodes, but hearing about all of the connections has intrigued me. I need to know about the Breakers, who gets hit by the car, and what happens to Father Callahan. Just a couple thoughts that I've had while listening. I was blown away by your description of the dark half as a metaphor for addiction. I didn't know where, getting, where King getting clean fell in the timeline of his work, and now that I do, the analogy is as clear as day. I need to reread that with that in mind. I don't know if I could see Tom Hanks as Pennywise. It sounds great in theory, but I just don't know if it can be scary enough. I've been thinking equal either Michael Fassbender or Kevin Spacey. I'm sure you've heard about all the changes made to the production of It, so who knows how it will turn out. Fingers crossed. I've also been having a lot of fun fan casting The Stand and can't wait to hear your thoughts in those episodes. Um, and at this point, I don't know if the It movie is going to happen. Um, I, like I said before, I think that the loss of... Uh, um, am I going to butcher his name again, guys? Uh, Kerry Fukunaga. Um, or is it Corey? I don't know. Uh, anyway, um, but Kerry Fukunaga, um, when they lost him and they passed on Ben Mendelsohn, I don't, I don't care about the, the, the remake anymore. Uh, and then Jennifer goes on to write, I love, love, love your musical selections. My favorite so far is Walking on Sunshine for the Long Walk, but I also loved You're My Best Friend, He's Not Heavy, He's My Brother, and Crazy Train. Awesome choices. Thank you so much. Um, I've said before that the, the musical parts are the pretty much my favorite aspect of, of, of doing these episodes. And I surprisingly really liked The Eyes of the Dragon. That was one I was not looking forward to, but checked out the audiobook on Overdrive and was pleasantly surprised. It works, it really works when read out loud. I was immediately drawn in by the storyteller feel. And that was read by Balki Barktakumus from Perfect Strangers. I was so happy I did the Dance of Joy. That being said, I probably won't read it again. I think your description of it being flat is pretty right on. The only thing I really took from it was Flagg's manipulation of Thomas as a parallel to his manipulation of Harold. That's great. I love that. I love that. Not a super strong connection, but similar. Harold is one of my favorite characters from King's work. Not that I like him all very much, and I have a lot to say about him, so you may be hearing from me after I listen to your stand episodes. Yeah, Jennifer, please write in. Please write in. Um, I want to hear what you have to say about Harold. Um, she goes on to write, uh, oh, there she goes. And she's done. Um, your review of The Awful Mercy was hilarious. Uh, I had a lot of fun with that one. I also love Stephen Weber and Tim Daly, who doesn't. Um, and so now I realize that I've written another really long email. Thank you so much for taking the time to read them and for your thorough and thoughtful analysis of my favorite books. The Stephen King cast has become the highlight of my weekend, right up there with Naps. 
which is high praise indeed, Jennifer. Um, I'm I'm very very proud that I'm right up there with naps, and as being someone that that loves a good nap myself, um, I, I that means the world to me. So guys, uh, I just kind of wanted to share some thoughts and some emails out there. Uh, I'm almost at 40 minutes now, and I don't want to ramble on too much more. Um, but I just want to take the opportunity again to, to thank you guys for, for listening, um, for, for, for coming back each week and, and, and each episode and you know keeping those listens up and sharing the word. I really appreciate it. Uh, for those of you who haven't done so already, feel free to write in at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. And if you haven't done so already, head on over to iTunes to write a review and a subscription because that will go a long way in getting the Stephen King cast out there. Now, just so you guys know, I am currently uh, rereading 1122.63, and I um, I have finished reading Lisi's story and Duma Key, which will be coming out very, very shortly if my chron- if my chronology is is correct. And then I need to read Just Under Sunset. So, I I I think that I've touched upon this in in other in other reviews, but. You know, I made sure that I had a lot of episodes in the can before I, I started um, podcasting in the first place because I didn't want to fall behind if if life caught up to me. And I was doing really good until I finished the Dark Tower series. And then I started reading Cell. And then I lost my copy of Cell. And then I kind of fell behind. And so then I kind of skipped ahead and I read Full Dark No Stars. And then I read Wind Through the Keyhole. And then I found Cell. And then I realized that the time spent reading Full Dark No Stars and Went Through the Keyhole set me back um, a couple weeks. And so I'm feeling a, a time crunch here uh, that I've never felt before. So it's very, very interesting. So what I'm saying is I have prided myself in the fact that since this podcast has hit in uh, August of 2014, there hasn't a a week has not gone by where there hasn't been at least one new episode, and I think that at the most there have been six new episodes on the same day. So I I have taken pride in the fact that at least um, once a week you're getting at least one episode. But I'm 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 worried a little bit, guys. I'm worried because I I gotta I gotta finish 112263. I have to finish um, just up after sunset in order for me to well really I have to finish uh, just under sunset in order to keep the train rolling. So I apologize ahead of time if a week goes by and there's no new episode. I'm trying my best, guys. I'm trying my best. Um, but it's a race against time, and we're gonna see who wins, me or time. It's very fitting that I'm reading uh, 112263 as I make that statement. All right, guys. Uh, just thanks again for listening, and thanks again for all that you do. You can find me on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and Tumblr, all Stephen Kingcast. Like I said, you can write in to Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com and make sure that you come back um, uh, for the next episode, which will be my review of Stephen King's very, very personal tale. Lisey's story. So I'll see you all there, guys. And in the meantime, may you have long days and pleasant nights. And I'll see you here again where M O N spells Stephen King. Cast. Oh.